0: You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily podcast on the Minnesota Timberwolves, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Colt Molesky, joined by Tim Fakeless so, to break down some storylines throughout the, the first uh I would say two-thirds of the season, I suppose, uh, since there's only 20 games left. there's a, There's been some surprising storylines, been some ones that you didn't see coming, uh, and we wanted to kind of break it all down, kind of encompass what I guess, uh, I guess the season has been more or less about if you're looking at uh, what the big takeaways were from before the All-Star break. First of all, Tim, thank you for joining me on, on a beautiful Wednesday morning. Is it beautiful?
1: I haven't even gone outside yet. Oh I'm my god. Totally honest,
0: you savage.
1: It's what happens when you work from home, man. <laughs> Forget what the outside world looks like.
0: <laughs> to be fair, I wouldn't have gone outside either if I didn't have a class this morning. I'm not gonna lie to you. Fair enough. But uh, I was glad it wasn't too bad, and uh, it's sunny. So what more can you ask for in February in uh, in Minnesota? But we're, are you we're, are
1: you in southern MN right now, or are you up here?
0: No, I'm in Mankato. I oh, just I was had to say, man, we
1: still haven't recorded a lockdown in person yet. That, that seems to be a thing that needs to happen. At some
0: I know. Time. I'm going to try and pull you away to do a double or nothing tomorrow, probably though. Is what <laughs> it's going to be.
1: Good luck with that. <laughs>
0: Thank you. I, I feel you like you want I'm me need it. on
1: a betting podcast. Have you talked to me about betting before?
0: I have, and I just want I just want expertise. You, don't you, want, even need to, you want
1: Dane and David to give you real bets and then be on the side to say,
0: I don't bet, I don't know, I don't care. Exactly. I want you to be the disappointed <laughs> father that you are to me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go over storylines from the, the first uh, part of the season before the All-Star break. I had a, a few that, uh, that really stuck out to me. Uh, the first one was Towns and his shooting. I think everybody knew that minutes was going to come up uh, just because of who the head coach is. Minutes are going to come up no matter what team he's coaching, and the Minnesota Timberwolves was no exception. Uh, And obviously, Jimmy Butler playing well. Uh, The the first month and a half did not fool anybody, I don't really think. Uh, You knew he was going to take over the team at some point. And you knew that some t- players were going to lose shots on this team. Carl Anthony Towns losing shots uh, over the the month that he really went down in shots, I, I did not see as a storyline. And I know that one was pretty recent, but that was one of the big surprises for me over the pre-All-Star break NBA was that the, the theme of about a month, month and a half was that Towns was not taking enough shots. That one surprised me.
1: Yeah, and I think the weirder stat with that, I don't have the figure in front of me, but when Towns takes, I think it's like 12 or fewer shots, or 10 or fewer, some, a low number, basically, the Wolves have a really good record. And when he takes double-digit shots, lots of shots, the shots, frankly, that or the shot number, rather, that he should be taking, the Wolves are closer to 500. So I found that really bizarre. Obviously, that, Uh, It's something that needs to be worked out, and if anything, that just kind of proves that uh, the Wolves haven't quite figured out yet how to uh, use or utilize Towns and Butler and Wiggins in a way that uh, gets each guy the number of shots that they're supposed to get and makes it a pretty offense. But that said, they have the third-best offensive rating in the league, so they're an efficient offense, but uh, factoring Towns into it uh, hasn't really happened yet. I saw a video breakdown by a dude named uh, Brian Sampson, who I think writes for uh, a wolf blog. I can't remember which one, uh, but he essentially compared the use of towns to the way, and there are some similarities. I don't, I don't want to uh, overdo it, but it they he basically compared him to the way Thibodeau used uh, Joakim Noah in Chicago, and I, I don't know. I thought that was pretty interesting. He uses him at the elbow a lot, more as a facilitator, a guy that draws uh, doubles or just kind of
0: sort of the middle swivel guy while everyone else is moving around. So I don't know, I thought that was interesting. Is that kind of the next step for this offense is really using talents to the maximum effect in a way where it complements more than takes away from other players because you 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 bring up their record when he's shooting less when he's shooting more. There seems you, you got to think that there's a formula where he shoots a lot and they have a really great record is somewhere in the works there.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's even when he's not taking a bunch of shots, he's still getting his numbers. He's so efficient. Uh, so I'm not I'm not terribly worried about it right now. And frankly, like the the way it's working, if if he, if him taking fewer shots is resulting in more wins, I'm not saying that uh, they need to figure out a way to get him. They don't need to figure out a way to give him the ball because they do. Uh, but when those types of games are, hap- are happening, just sort of in the moment, and they're winning. I, there's no immediate cause for concern. Long-term, they need to figure it out. But, I mean, if there's a game where he has seven shots and the Wolves are up 12 points, is there really a, a need to force feed Towns the ball? I don't think so. But, I mean, in those games where it's a little bit closer and Towns has, you know, four or five pick shots, uh, yeah, you got to get him the damn ball. Because it, 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 a lot of these games, where Towns has had low shot numbers have been against uh, less than stellar teams uh, that they've kind of squeaked out wins against. And I don't know about you, but like when when they're barely beating teams like, I don't know, uh, the Lakers, for example, and Towns has seven, eight shots, that seems problematic to me.
0: That feels like something that will rear its head in the playoffs, where either – they work him into, uh, into the offense in a way we really haven't seen uh, during the regular season where he's taken a bunch of shots and they're playing incredibly well and they surprise the team in the playoffs or they don't get him the ball enough and it really shows because they're losing games in the playoffs. It feels like one of those scenarios is really likely uh, in right. playoff time.
1: Like, Well, I mean, you can look at losses too. I'm, I got his game log up now so I can stop talking out of my butt. Uh <laughs> He had eight shots against Chicago. They lost by one. He had nine shots uh, uh, last Thursday against the Lakers. Uh, they won by eight. So, I mean, it's, it's against a bunch of teams that uh, they should beat by a lot, but they're not, and Towns isn't shooting a bunch in those games. The Clippers, they won by eight. He took seven shots. Uh, the game without Jimmy Butler, he had seven shots, and they beat Toronto by six. So, I don't know. It's, it's a weird variety. But then against... Atlanta, their most recent loss against Atlanta. He took eight shots, and they lost by five. Uh, Butler was back. They lost to Toronto. Uh, he had seven shots. I don't know. It's, it's- he, needs more. he needs the ball more. So, I mean, early on, uh, I think there was less cause for concern because it was almost entirely resulting in wins. But I assume uh, the losses to Atlanta and Chicago uh, probably made it a little bit more telling.
0: Well and it almost feels too like it's one of those one of those scenarios where it's fine if he doesn't shoot a ton every night but when other players like when Jimmy Butler's not really feeling it or when uh, Jeff T isn't really feeling it it doesn't at least for the last month or so it hasn't really seemed like when one of those guys isn't really clicking in the offense, they haven't been sacrificing as much to get Towns the ball like it felt like in December.
1: Yeah, I mean Teague like the role Teague should have on this team and he's been doing a little a little bit more lately, is he's supposed to step in when one of the three stars isn't feeling it. It shouldn't that shouldn't be Towns' role. So uh like Teague I think in uh the game against the Lakers had a bunch of points if I'm not mistaken, or at least had a nice game. Uh Towns had ten points. He was also two of nine, so maybe that was an example of Uh, when Teague needs to uh, step up and maybe take a few more shots. But overall, Towns should be either the first or second option. At absolute lowest, the third option going into a game, depending on what the game plan is. Uh, Guys like Teague and Gibson and Crawford, their roles are to step in when one of those three guys, Wiggins, Towns, Butler, isn't feeling it.
0: No, yeah, I I totally agree with that. That's definitely uh, one of the storylines that surprised me. Another Timberwolves storyline that surprised me uh, in the first uh, the first chunk of the season before the All Star break. It felt like everybody jumped off the Teague as point guard starting point guard bandwagon pretty quick, and there was a couple stints, uh, most notably when he was injured and Tyus Jones was the uh, was the starter. Everybody seemed to think that Tyus Jones should just stay as the starting point guard. Obviously, there are going to be times where people doubt uh, the the point guard after a bad game. That's just kind of the the highs and lows of playing for a fan base that wants to see wins all the time, uh, like every fan base does. But it felt like after it was the biggest signing, uh, free agent signing for the Timberwolves. Right after that, it felt like. The the fans and maybe even some media with the stories that were being written were out on Teague a little bit pretty soon in his uh, in his Timberwolves campaign. Did that surprise you at all that, that people were jumping off the bandwagon?
1: No, it didn't surprise me at all. Uh, <laughs> I was I was I've been pretty pro Teague all year, and I've gotten pretty animated about it on Wolves Wired, and I mean I can rehash a little bit of it. Uh, my general opinion of the Teague-Tyus debate was one, it's great to have two good point guards. Two, Tyus Jones is had a breakout year of sorts and has been really good, and the plus minus figures are really a complimentary to his impact both with the starters and with the bench, and I'm happy to see him doing so well, and he has the future of maybe being a starter one day, but at worst being a good backup point guard. Three, uh, Jeff Teague started the year off as the second best three point shooter on the team, shooting around forty, forty one percent from deep, which is really good. Uh he played, you know, a pretty solid level point guard and the Wolves were winning and I mean he's never been a good defensive player, but the defense the defensive woes go way past Jeff Teague, I'll put it that way. Uh <laughs> then he got hurt. And then he got hurt again. And I mean, after the first injury, Teague more or less said, I've never gotten hurt like this before. And so two injuries happen, and he comes back, and suddenly he looks rusty and doesn't look like the Teague even last year in Indiana, which was kind of a shell of his, himself in, in Atlanta. But you got to give a guy that who at least says has never experienced real injury history before a little bit of leeway time to get back and to get into shape and uh, rehab an injury that he's never experienced before. And the, the the other point that I would make is, and I hate doing this because I like the dude, and I, I kind of miss him in Minnesota <laughs> in certain ways. Uh, if Ricky Rubio last uh, year oh boy. Had, had gotten an injury after starting off the year shooting 40% from three, come back and kind of shot like garbage, I don't think anyone would have batted an eye here because Ricky Rubio was a fan favorite and Jeff Teague never really got a chance to become a fan favorite. Uh, So, with these last couple weeks where Teague has started to look more like himself, uh, he's playing a little bit more fast-paced He's shooting the ball better, I think eventually by the end of the year we're going to realize that it's nice to have two good point guards, but also, at least at this point, that Jeff Teague is just a better point guard than Tyus Jones. And I think we need to pump the brakes on that. But there definitely was uh, cause for uh, concern at some point in the middle of the season when uh, Teague just flat out wasn't playing well on either end of the floor. Jones was kind of a savior, and it was good to have him because without Jones' impact at that point, the Wolves probably wouldn't have as many wins as they do right now
0: no definitely and it's always better to have to try and figure out how to play a bunch of good players rather than trying to figure out how to manage with a bunch of bad players obviously uh, I just I just think people kind of bailed on, on Teague really quick uh, considering that he, we've had him for only a few months but that's just me uh, what storyline surprised you throughout the first few just for Timberwolves and then we can do an NBA one before we take a, a sponsor break here
1: um, I think the the thing that really grabbed my attention was uh, Taj Gibson. I mean, he was he was really the guy that surprised me when they signed him. Uh, I liked I liked the signing because I thought he would he would bring some toughness defensively. I thought uh, he would add some sort of just it, just an interior presence on the board. He's never been a great rebounder, but he's always been a good rebounder, and I thought that just his ability to get in the paint and muck things up a little bit would help. Uh, I didn't expect him to have as big of an impact as he's had. I think he's having a career year statistically, but just the way he's able to come out and score in the first quarter and have all these—he I, I call him a first quarter first ballot Hall of Famer on Twitter all the time. Uh, <laughs> he's been he's been outstanding this year, and I think a big part of the reason Talent has improved defensively, or at least had a, a defensive surge, I'll call it, uh, was because of uh, was because of Taj keeping him. Uh, accountable, making sure that he does his job. Taj, just as much as Jimmy, is an extension of Coach Thibodeau, and I I don't know if it's because of just the array of scores the Wolves have, and maybe it's just an easier job offensively for Taj, but he's been uh, outstanding in every way this year. And As much as I liked him in Oklahoma City, and even more so in Chicago, he has exceeded all of my expectations.
0: I've uh, I've got some Taj Gibson stats, actually. Uh, first one. This is the first time that he's averaged seven rebounds and double-digit points in a season. Uh, this is the first time since his rookie season that he's averaged seven rebounds a game, and this is the first time. This is the his best scoring average at twelve point four points per game since his uh thirteen fourteen season where he had thirteen points per game. So he is having a really great year. Also, he has. 14 double-doubles this year. Last season he had 11, and his best double-double season was the 13-14 season where he had 15. Or no, excuse me, his rookie season when he had 18 in uh, 09, uh 2010 season. But he's got 14 already this season, and he's got 21 more games to, to beat his best uh, double-double season. So he is he's putting together quite a year.
1: Yeah, I mean, those are some fun stats. Uh, Dave Benz would approve of that. Uh yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely statistically improved in just about every way. But I think and this is kind of cliché, but a lot of what he does doesn't always reflect on the stat sheet. He's very vocal on both ends of the floor if a mistake is made. He's not a, uh, he's not afraid to hold that guy accountable whether it's Towns, uh Wiggin, whoever have you, Gorgie Jang. Uh, it it really doesn't matter. He's a really vocal guy. He's also a uh, he's not uh, he's not Thibodeau in that he's not going to mercilessly scream at you if it happens, but he will call you out for it. And he's he's incredibly good at knowing how to get at the right place on the offensive end. He fills the lane perfectly, both on the fast break and in the half court. He's uh, he's a very smart basketball player, and the Wolves are lucky to have him. He's a perfect fit.
0: No, he really is just what they need. Uh, and he he fits his role nicely. He doesn't play outside of what he can do, which is exactly. important to have on a team with a, a bunch of talents like the the Timberwolves have. Uh, one yep. NBA story that I was gonna go with, I went. There's so many things that has happened over this NBA season, uh, going from the Cleveland Cavaliers to the L- young Lakers to the Marco Fultz situation in Philadelphia. I went with the one that was deep into the early season, the first month and a half, two months the Aaron Gordon regeneration of kind of people rejuvenation of people loving Aaron Gordon and kind of rejumpstarting starting his career almost to put himself back on the map even though he uh, plays for the magic uh 18.4 points per game this season he's shooting 34% which is by far the best of the his career jump. huge yep. jump especially from last season where he shot 28% from 3 Uh, 34% from the three-point range, and at the beginning of the season, I think it was the first four weeks, he was shooting at 46%, so he really lit it up the first part of the season and kind of put himself back on the map uh, and made it fun to watch the Orlando Magic, which is something I never thought I would say for the next few years. Uh, He was probably my favorite story in the early part of the season for the NBA and that was the biggest surprise for me was enjoying following the Orlando Magic and enjoying the Aaron Gordon kind of saga in Orlando. <laughs> I uh,
1: I like Aaron Gordon a lot. I agree with you on that. I, as good as he has been, I don't think he makes the Magic watchable yet. For the first part of the
0: season, for the that first stretch of the season when they're like the second best team in the East.
1: All right, fine. Yeah, they they were for they four were weeks. The Magic fair. were
0: fun to watch. They
1: they had a stretch where they didn't look like butt, But they have been <laughs> but ever since. <laughs> that, that said, I, won't that. Been, I won't argue with that. I won't argue with that. Gordon's been awesome this year, man. He's i uh, I'm a big fan of him. I, like I've always hoped that he would turn into more. Like I, I was worried that he was going to be just, like a better version of Derrick Williams for a little while, like a, a year and a half. I was a little <laughs> bit lower on him. Uh, but the end of last season, the beginning of this season, made me feel better. He's going to be a good player. Uh, oh, am yeah.
0: I supposed to get mine now? <laughs> I mean, you can if you want to. I could, I could just keep reeling off stuff that surprised me this NBA season. It's uh, always keep fun.
1: Keep going. This is your pod.
0: <sighs> I'm not gonna lie to you. I am okay. surprised by Lavar Ball. That would I, be think... Awful idea. <laughs> I think. I think. I think Lavar Ball was. People anticipated no! him being a way bigger problem. Oh, okay. I
1: thought we're. God. I, I, I have made a pact with myself to not talk about LeVar Ball. So
0: feel free to monologue. I just with what he was like from the his son's playing time in college and, and how he acted uh, during March Madness, what he was like around the kind of leading up to the draft and preparing for the NBA draft, the stuff he was saying during the NBA playoffs last year, the NBA draft itself, and the way he acted, and uh, when his son was drafted, and they were asking him if he was surprised, and he said, "No, I. If I said it, you got to believe it into existence or something like that." All this led was everybody was anticipating it leading up to just a horrendous year for the Lakers and. Granted, he's made some headlines, but for the most part, this is way under what I thought as far as terribleness, way under what I thought was going to be for the Lakers and for LeVar Ball. Maybe it helps that his two of his kids play in uh, Lithuania, and so he's always away over there, but I thought it was going to be way worse, and it, I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't an absolute poop-fire train wreck. Of of uh, just headline after headline for the ball. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm sugarcoating it.
1: I don't know. I, I don't comment on things <laughs> that don't matter. So uh, <laughs> yeah. That sounds interesting.
0: Uh I'm not gonna get you to say a word, am I?
1: I how, absolutely how, not. How about I this do one? Not comment on parents?
0: Pleasantly surprised by Frankie Smokes for New York. Not the sure. offensive threat that uh, well, I guess nobody was really anticipating to be a, a huge offensive threat. He hasn't been great on offense. Really good defensive player as, for a rookie point guard. Really good defensively. Pleasantly surprised by him. Somebody I didn't think was going to be very good, and didn't have him going very high in any of the any of the draft stuff that I wrote for ZoneCoverage.com going into the draft. Pleasantly surprised by Frankie Smokes.
1: Sure. No, I, frankly, I haven't seen a ton of the Knicks this year. I know he struggled offensively, and I think. Most of uh, the Knicks community is still pretty big on him for that reason. It reminds me of uh, one Chris Dunn last year. Didn't necessarily show uh, too much offensively in his rookie year, but, I mean, even this year, Chris Dunn's been outstanding defensively. And Frank, uh, oh, man, do you know how to pronounce his last name?
0: I believe it's Natalia, but I'm not 100% sure.
1: It says on basketball reference it's Neely Kina.
0: Neely Kina? Well, you'd hope that would be the right one.
1: I don't know. They, I remember looking the second ever episode of Wolves Wired. We tried to pronounce Damian Rudege's name, and they did not have it correct on there. So you never know. Uh, regardless, I don't know. I, I just I like, like calling Frank-
0: him Frankie Smokes.
1: Frankie Smokes is great. I like calling him Frank. Uh, <laughs> he's got a long way to go offensively before he becomes like a, a real viable threat. Uh, you can be as good a defender as you want, but if you don't bring anything offensively, it's going to be hard to keep you on the floor for an extended period of time. Um, even like a Tony Allen, who was not an offensive threat, is not an offensive threat, uh, knew when to shoot, and when he did shoot, it was always in the paint. His numbers in the paint in his career have always been really good. So uh, Frank's going to have to figure out how to... Maybe I'll start calling him Dirty Frank. My favorite hurdle jam song. Uh, <laughs> Dirty Frank's going to have to learn how to muck it up in the paint a little bit or maybe start hitting threes or something.
0: That's Uh, a very New York mob kind of name to have, so it would fit with the New York Knicks.
1: It's the most ridiculous Pearl Jam song of all time. (laughs) It sounds like a chili pepper song, but I love it because it sounds ridiculous. Uh, I've lost my train of thought. (laughs) Dirty Frank has got to learn how to be a better offensive threat, I guess is my point that I keep uh, circling
0: back to. All right, we're going to take a break for some sponsors, and then we're going to get to predicting in Tom's segment. Or Tim, excuse me. Jeez, did I just call you Tom? Tom! Oh, my gosh. You know what?
1: Good God.
0: I, I'm i ashamed of myself. Let's get to Good. some sponsors very quickly. So, Tom, Tim, whoever you are, whatever you assume to be, uh, we're going to give me one thing that you predict to be a big story in the next 21, 25 games or so of the NBA season.
1: I don't know if you. I don't know if I want to you call me Tom. Like who? Who do you think you are, young man?
0: Uh, I'm actually doing homework right now, so forgive me. Uh, I'm trying my best.
1: <laughs> um, so just a, a prediction for a national storyline.
0: It could be national. It could be Timberwolves. Whatever you want.
1: I'll do one of each. I love um, it. Let's see. I got to think this through. Uh, I think one national storyline to look for. I think. The Rookie of the Year race is going to be really interesting down the stretch. At the beginning of the year, yeah. I wrote a big thing for Sporting News about Ben Simmons and why he's the clear-cut Rookie of the Year. And this was like mid-season. Uh, while i had seen some Donovan Mitchell, I thought Ben Simmons was clearly the guy. And early on, I think he was. And, I mean, he's averaging 16, 8, and 7. So he's done pretty great this year. Uh, but he has had kind of a, a lull period. I was feeling that this All-Star break is going to give him a chance to kind of bring his name back out into the forefront. Donovan Mitchell's been amazing, and it's going to be a really tight race for rookie of the year. I think Mitchell has the lead right now, but I also think that's only been the case for about a month. Um, So I really want to see how that happens down the stretch. Uh, And with Simmons getting some break time, this might make a difference. And if Joel Embiid's really going to be playing more back-to-back, playing more big-minute moments, uh, that's that's only going to help Simmons and the Sixers, though. True. I'm interested to see how that works. And a, uh, a long-term Wolves prediction storyline, et cetera. Whew, that's a tough one. It's, uh, this is such an unpredictable team. We've already experienced everything. I mean, the Wolves have had an elite defense. They've had a bottom two defense. They've been towards the top offensively all year. Towns is an all-star. Butler's an all-star. Wiggins has looked like an all-star at different points. Teague's looked both good and bad. I mean, what what is there left? I mean, how about this? Uh, I could see Andrew Wiggins having a nice stretch after the All Star break. There's one. Um, that would be so think, nice.
0: That would be so nice. I think
1: I think he is very liable to getting tired right now. Um, I, like I'm not saying he's not in really good shape or anything, but uh, he's new to the big minutes from for Thibodeau. Granted, Flip Saunders giving big minutes as well he's he's just a more active defender than ever before and i think that's taking away from his offense so i could see this all-star break especially helping him uh offensively i could see him having big scoring nights out of the gate for no reason other than he's got energy again and might be able to extend it on both ends of the floor for the first time this year
0: I would really love if that one could uh, could come to fruition, and that Wiggins would have a nice a nice run. That would be a pleasant surprise from the last two months.
1: Yeah, I mean, man he he goes through these stretches of looking like every bit like the max player that uh, his contract says he is, and then he goes through these stretches where you really question whether or not uh, Tom Thibodeau should have given him that contract. So we're gonna we're gonna see. Uh, I've got a feeling he's going to be sort of a streaky guy under this contract, and that's going to be good and bad, but when it's good, it's going to be really good. Uh, Hopefully that happens in the immediate, and it'd be really nice if it happened in the playoffs too. All
0: right, so my uh, my NBA storyline that I'm predicting is I think the Wizards are going to get a huge amount of backlash for sitting on their hands really at the trade deadline. I think that Bradley Beal is going to come out of this All-Star break and he's just gonna be, he's gonna be hitting everything he throws up, and he's gonna be looking really good. And they're gonna have either a, a slew of wins or a bunch of games where they lose by really a really close margin with John Wall out. And they're gonna they're gonna either be hanging around or they're gonna lose some spots seating wise. And everybody is gonna be upset that they didn't make a move and grab uh, a role player like a maybe like a, a Rodney Hood or something like that to help kind of keep them from sinking while John Wall has been out and play alongside Bradley Beal, and they missed an opportunity. And they're probably going to lose some spots seeding-wise because of it, and that's going to be a big backlash for them uh, and for the Wizards because I really think that Bradley Beal coming out of the All-Star break is going to be phenomenal. I I just got a feeling he's going to be looking really good because he's having a great season, and I think the break is just going to help him.
1: I love Bradley Beal. I'm not sure... I mean, I could fan backlash, irrational fan backlash is a natural a natural thing. but uh, We're not talking about fan backlash.
0: We're talking about the media storylines. Sure, I think a sure. lot of people are going to be right in that they should have done something uh, at the trade deadline.
1: If those people really think that a Rodney Hood-esque player uh, can stop the Wizards from falling down the standings with the absence of John Wall, I think they're wrong. <laughs> that's just me.
0: <laughs> just, just one other role player. Just, they have no bench. Just somebody. right. I'm
1: saying one. I'm not sure one other role player would make that big a difference. Rodney Hood's awesome. Maybe. Uh, and Rodney Hood
0: was just somebody I was throwing out there. Just get somebody. Get I know, somebody I'm, to help.
1: I'm, I'm saying I'm not sure there's any role player that can save a team from falling. If a team's gonna fall down the standings, the addition of a solid role player, I'm not sure how big that makes a difference. So, like one role player doesn't make a bench. So. Maybe. But I could definitely see that backlash still happening because <laughs> it's the NBA.
0: Exactly. Uh, my Timberwolves prediction this one is, uh, I might be getting a little out in front of my skis here. But <laughs> That's I think, fine, I did the same. Thing. <laughs> I think that people are, the storyline is going to be Jimmy Butler was snubbed in the MVP voting by the end of the year. I think he's going to come out. He didn't play during the All-Star game. Uh, I think as opposed to the storyline of him partying too much over the weekend, I think it shows more that he really, really, really wants to come out firing and have a really strong end to the Timberwolves season. I think he's going to be very impressive over the next 21 games. And at the end of the year, I don't think he wins MVP just because I think they're going to give it to LeBron or James Harden, even though he should be one of the candidates for it. But I think a lot of people are going to look at his production and what he did for this Wolves team and what they went from last year to this year, and they're going to talk about how Jimmy Butler was kind of snubbed in the voting and didn't get enough votes and didn't get enough recognition.
1: So when you say he is going to get snubbed, do you think he's going to finish in the top? What is snubbed? Like Winning isn't snubbed in this case, right? because James Harden has been... No, I, no
0: winning, yeah, if he doesn't the, the win, Rockets that's not...
1: Are, the Rockets are statistically as good as the Warriors in a lot of ways this year. And, I mean, right now they are technically the one seed. So, Harden's probably the MVP right now considering the downfall of the Cavs has had lately. No, LeBron's yeah. Ron's still probably number two because of how great he's been.
0: So I would say like, he's snubbed if he's not like the third guy. And this is a little bit of projection too. I'm predicting that he has a really big next 21 games too. And so a little right. bit of this predi- is predicting dependent on him doing that. But I'm thinking if he is not in the top three, I would consider that a snub. Cause that okay. then that means that sure. he's not he he wasn't really even in the running if he's not in the top three. If he's in the top three, then there was a bunch of people that were considering him and he just got passed up and got edged out of the top two and got edged out of well, runner up.
1: If he finishes in the top three that I mean that means he makes the all NBA first team mm-hmm. most likely then too, yep. right? Okay. No, yeah. That's that's interesting. Like I, I think my guess is even with a big surge, let's say the Wolves finish third. Right, which will be tough because they have a tough march coming up. Yeah, uh, let's say they finish third in the West. I, I I think it's very possible that they that Butler finishes in the top three or four. I would say that it's. I think somebody like a, a Kyrie Irving or a, a Kevin Durant are going to finish with a lot of votes too, just because of how good their teams are. But I my. You know... my, my my prediction is that Butler is going to finish outside the top five, which might not seem right considering everything you just said. I mean, the Wolves won 31 games last year. They're going to I mean, barring something catastrophic, they're going to finish with, with a winning record and make the playoffs. Uh, Butler has been clearly the MVP of this team, but uh, it's I, I, my prediction is they're going to finish outside the top five, uh, which I think in in itself is a snub, but if he can somehow finish in the, get the Wolves to finish ahead of San Antonio, you never know. You could, they could finish in the top three. We'll and that's see. why
0: I'm saying that the storyline will be a snub because I think that a right. guy like Durant will probably get uh, fall into third there. And, but I, I think that I really believe that especially if Jimmy Butler finishes strong, he should be the third guy. This was a 31-win team last year. And he has come in and he changed the culture. He change, He's changing how they play on the court. He's a huge impact player. I, I would put him, he's definitely a candidate for MVP. I would put him as the third guy there. But that that's just one man's opinion.
1: No, that's fair. And, man, if they would have kept up, if that month-long stretch of elite defense
0: wouldn't have been a month,
1: I think his candidacy for MVP would have been more, taken more seriously. Like if if he yeah. if he can figure out how to get that defense going again, uh, get Towns and Wiggins to be as active as they were in December and January, I mean this team could be incredible. But uh, that that's a I think that's for another time. <laughs>
0: well, and part of the reason last year Russell Westbrook won the MVP, part of it a big part of it was the triple doubles, but another part of it was is that Kevin Durant. Left and he still got that team to the playoffs and got that team as a middle of the road Western Conference team. Like essentially, that's kind of what Jimmy Butler did: is he went in and one player was able to change so much about a team that they are now in the midst of a playoff run. So that no, yeah,
1: uh, you're totally right.
0: But I I don't know. I, I again, I think the conversation will be that he was snubbed because. Uh, Durant is probably going to get more votes or Kyrie Irving with the, the Gordon Hayward injury uh, will probably right. get a bunch of votes uh, quickly before we head out here, Tim's special segment, the the nation's favorite segment of Editor's Choice where he's giving us the, the top two stories from the last week to read, educate yourself about basketball people, Tim what do you got for us Uh,
1: alright so my Wolves won, frankly it's All-Star Weekend I wasn't in L.A. The only two Wolves writers I know that were in L.A. were the Star Tribune's uh, Jerry Zagoda, and the Athletics' John Krasinski, and I chose John's article over the weekend. He wrote a thing about uh, Townsend Butler and how the All-Star duo is looking to forge a connection for the uh, last run of the season. He talked to Jimmy. He talked to Kat during All-Star weekend. He talked about what All-Star weekend meant to the pair of them collectively and individually. And how they connected basically over All Star Weekend, and how they can make a stretch or how they can make a run down the stretch. Uh,
0: um,
1: so yeah, I mean there isn't a ton to talk about over <laughs> All Star Weekend, so that's the one I've got. The national one, and I'm saying you need to read this because not because it's going to make you feel good about uh, humanity or uh, the state of just the workplace. But it's NBA related, and it's, frankly, it's important to it's important to read. You have to read it, I think. Um, it's, I know what it's this a, is. Sports Illustrated about the quote corrosive workplace culture of the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, apparently, over the last few years, the workplace has been, um, in, in a word, disgusting. Um, uh, just the culture isn't. How do I phrase this without giving away exactly? Like, I really want people to go read it, but essentially there is a group of women that uh, came forward anonymously to Sports Illustrated saying that not only did the team's, and I, I don't want to misquote it, I believe it was the team's president or the team president and CEO, Terderma
0: yep. Usuri,
1: um, did, was pretty gross to, uh, to a group of women uh, individually, but then also, like, the collective workplace just wasn't, uh, hasn't been great to uh to women over the last few years and uh, it hasn't been a place where they they've felt safe and I don't wanna I don't wanna speak for them. I think you should really go read it. It's it's pretty gross. I'm not gonna lie, but it's it's a necessary read I think.
0: I funny story, I was actually out last night. I was uh at a bar playing some pool uh because uh there, there was a friend yeah, actually, Blue Bricks, nice. <laughs> and uh, they turned 21 yesterday, so we went out to uh, Blue Bricks playing some, some pool, uh, and that popped up on my phone because I have the news app on my iPhone, and it alerts me anytime uh, a big feature story for like Sports Illustrated, Bleacher Report, uh, SB Nation, The Ringer, anytime any of those have a big feature, it gives me a little alert and that popped up on my phone and I sat down in the bar and just ignored all the friends I was out with and, and read that immediately cuz it just seemed like one of those things you got to you got to read right away because it was a huge story and they've been working on it for quite some time and yeah it's uh it's very telling about the mentality of that teams or or front office and just how they handled that situation it, yeah it's it's a it's a very raw story but you have to you have to read it
1: it's a lot. And it says that Mark Cuban didn't really know what was going on within the uh the situation, which is a uh it's peculiar and kinda questionable. Just anything you if you know anything about Mark Cuban, it's that he likes to say how hands on he is with the organization, uh, and how involved he is and how if, if something's going on he knows about it yet. Uh, apparently he didn't know anything about this which i found peculiar and it's a bad look for him either way it just I, it wouldn't shock me i'll rephrase if this all comes to light as the truth then everything is accurate like i know what the the com writer that is attributed to this story said that this is an inaccurate telling his side of the story but let's say everything in this article ends up being correct it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the NBA uh handles it and what I mean by that is I wonder if this is a unique situation or if this is similar across the landscape of a league. I hope it's not, but it wouldn't shock me. And that is it's sad, but I'm glad that these women are coming forward.
0: No, yeah, it's uh it's gonna be a very interesting couple of months, I I think, for the NBA. And just that particular side of it, and uh, what happens after this story has been broken, and kind of mold over, and now other teams—it'll uh, uh, be, it'll all be interesting. Go, go read the article. Uh, go check out both of those. And Tim, thanks for coming on. Thanks for breaking down some storylines with me.
1: Yeah, no problem. Sorry to end it on a on a sad, sour <laughs> note. The season starts again what tomorrow?
0: It does. Basketball is again. Ensuing tomorrow, and I'm excited for it. Yeah. All right. And thank you to the listeners for tuning into another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.